I feel like we should have an invitation right now. I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian. That's it right there. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Donathus. I would encourage you this morning, if you have a Bible, to turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter number 1. First Peter has, at least in the first chapter, a lot of doctrinal things that must be worked through. I, uh, I, I felt a little guilty making you work through some of these doctrinal issues with me until I realized that I was apologizing for the Bible, and that's not a wise thing to do. What I'd ask you to do this morning is, like they... My teacher told me when I was in kindergarten, she said, I want you to take your thinking cap and put it on. I didn't know what a thinking cap was, but I learned. And so this morning, I'd ask you for just a few minutes to put on your thinking cap. And let's take a look at what I believe is a phenomenal formula for energizing each of us in our Christian walk before the Lord returns. I need this. And so perhaps selfishly this morning, I'm preaching this message. Let's take a look at verse number 7. I'm going to read just verses 7 through 9 in my introduction here. But 1 Peter 1, beginning in verse 7, it says, "...that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory." Notice, "...at the appearing of Jesus Christ." whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. There's a lot to unpack here, and I want to work on it. So I'm going to ask your patience and your help as we look at what I believe Peter has given to us as a wonderful, wonderful gift. I'm going to preach a message entitled, Hope to the End. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, I feel so inadequate this morning. I need your help. But I'm so grateful, Lord, that you have a desire to impart these truths. So I pray, Spirit of God, that you'd meet with us in a fresh way. Quicken my mind. Open our hearts today and give to us what we need. Oh, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I went to a Bible college many, many years ago. It was a Bible college that's not your typical Bible college. When you think of Bible college, oftentimes you think of some very, very uh, staid, very formal setting where you kind of walk to the class and you sit down and you have to sit real straight and and listen very well that's not at least how chapel was in this particular bible college that i went to they had a, a lot of excitement in this one they when they would sing the, they just lift the rafters in this particular chapel i've got to tell you that because some of you are familiar with an old evangelist he's in heaven now has been for many years named lester roloff old lester roloff was an amazing amazing evangelist preacher He's from the South, and he had a drawl, but it's one of these winning drawls, you know, that you want to, you just want to, you want to be around him. And he had such a heart for people. He had uh, several homes, homes for, uh, for ladies, homes uh, for, for men for a while, and just those were really needing help and, and down South. And 
And uh, tragically, um, not tragically he flew, but tragically he died in a plane crash, one in which he was flying. And uh, that was, that's how he went to heaven, was by going down first, and then he got to go up. But old Lester Roloff would come to chapel every so often. And when I was first new, and new there, I had heard of him, and I probably had heard even part of a message of his, but I had no idea what to expect. You see, I did not grow up around the, that, that kind of um, atmosphere. I grew up in a much more formal type background. And so I didn't know that what it would be like when Lester Olof came to preach in chapel. All of a sudden, the place erupted. I mean, literally erupted. They were hooting and hollering and clapping and shouting. It was the likes of which almost deafeningly loud and then this man goes walking down the aisle, long aisle, the place, you know, all the, all the students there down the aisle. He is in all white. I mean, white boots, white pants, a white western jacket, a white shirt, a white bolo tie, and his great big white cowboy hat. And he gets up there, and it must have taken 10 minutes for the place to calm down until he started preaching. And oh, did he preach. Wow, he preached. Just in Incredible what, what, what God had done in and through him. I'm telling you that because that excitement that we had that day, the thrill of this great evangelist that day is going to pale in comparison. When we see Jesus, there's going to come a day in which he's going to split the clouds wide open. And let me tell you something. In your wildest dreams, you can't begin to imagine what this is going to be like. It's going to be incredible, partly because we're going to be following him on horses. Can you believe it? I don't ride horses that well. In fact, it's been years since I did. All I remember last time I rode a horse is when the horse started getting going, I couldn't help but giggle. I don't know something about it. I just was giggling until, I, until, until he got to really, really taken off. But uh, I'm going to come, uh, supposedly, I'm going to know how to ride a horse when I come back, and I'm going to follow him. He's going to come down, and he's going to destroy all the wicked. It's going to be incredible. None of you noticed it, but here in verse number 7, it concludes with the phrase, might be found unto praise and honor. When? At the appearing of Jesus Christ. Christ. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be incredible. It will be literally life-changing. And we're given a sneak peek of what it's here for. Let's jump into it. At the appearing of Jesus Christ, we will receive what is called here the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Now that sounds a little... A little little muddy. The end, the, the end of our faith, the salvation of our souls. I was 11 years old when I knelt down and put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I was saved. What do you mean the end of my faith, the salvation? I thought I got my salvation back here. Well, if you've been around any length of time, you have heard me describe that salvation is so much bigger than just having my sins washed away. That is my security for heaven. When I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I am 
saved, completely saved. All my sins are washed away, hallelujah. I am justified or seen through Jesus as if I'd never sinned. Why? Because he took all of his sins upon himself. Under the blood, they're all washed away. But that's only beginning. I didn't understand as a young believer that I would be entering into a lifelong process of becoming more and more like him which is also part of my salvation. I don't mean getting justified. That happened the moment I trusted Christ. That guaranteed my eternal home in heaven. But my salvation included, at that time, a lifelong course of becoming more and more like Christ until I actually see him face to face. And when I see him face to face, as I receive my resurrected body, as I become, in that essence, like him, my faith will have an end. Because now my faith will be sight. And my salvation will be complete. I went from justification through sanctification to glorification. Now don't get lost. Stay with me. Because what he's talking about here, is an opportunity for you and for me in this life, wherever you are in this part of your salvation. If you've trusted Christ for salvation, you're saved, you're going to heaven no matter what, but you're also in this journey of becoming more and more like Christ. Wherever you are in that journey, you're guaranteed some trials. You're guaranteed some heartaches some difficult times. That's all part of the journey. That's all part of God's plan for us to knock off those rough edges that we have. So much of the flesh in us, so much of us in us that has to get out so we can become like Him. When we go to heaven, our faith will become sight. Our salvation, complete. We will be given resurrected bodies like Christ and be free once and for all from our sin nature. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 15, 49. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. I can't take my sin nature with me. It's got to stay here. I'm going to be forever freed from my sin nature. Hallelujah. Until then, we live by faith. We have not seen Jesus. At least I haven't. Years ago, there was one of these evangelists that said he had seen a 600-foot Jesus. I don't think so. <laughs> but we're going to see Jesus. But now we see him by faith. You see, according to this passage, we have in this stage chosen to love him. We have chosen to believe in him. And we then, therefore, rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now, I'm going to take you on a little dissection of a verse here. I want you to look at verse number 8 with me. And this is exciting from my vantage point, so hang in there until you get excited. Whom, having not seen, 
ye love. That word seen is in the, the past tense. It means you did not see him in his earthly ministry. Peter is writing this. Peter's an old man now. And most of the folks who had been living during the Jesus' earthly ministry have all died off. And so the people to whom he's writing never saw Jesus. You never saw Jesus. I haven't seen Jesus. Neither did the people to whom Peter was writing. They hadn't seen Jesus physically. Whom having not seen, even though they hadn't seen him, notice what they did. You love. Now this word love is in the present tense, which means it can, they continue to love. Even though you haven't seen Jesus, you continue to love him. Go on, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing. Hmm. This word, see him not, is also in the continual or present tense. Here's what it means. In whom, though now you are still not seeing him. Okay, you haven't seen him before, but you chose to love him. You still can't see him, and yet, you're continuing to believe. It goes on. Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Again, present tense. You continue to rejoice. Verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Now this was a head scratcher for just a little bit. Because the word receiving is also in the present tense. It means continuous. Continuous action. I am continuing to receive the end of my faith. I'm continuing to receive that. And then, bing, the light bulb went on. Oh, okay. I understand what he means. The end of my faith is over here. We talked about glorification when I see Jesus. That's the end of my faith. But what am I in the process of receiving now? I got justified at 11 years old. I'm no longer 11 years old. I'm on this journey now, this process of becoming like Christ. So during this process, I am little by little receiving more and more of the end of my faith. I now know more about it than I did because I've received more of it. I now understand it. I comprehend it. And I now get much more excited about it because I'm understanding what I'm looking forward to, I'm in the process now of receiving the end of my faith. The second major point here, as my salvation is fueled by faith. My salvation is fueled by faith. Notice verse 8. I'm going to read it with my description. Verse 8. Whom having not seen, while here in his earthly ministry, you continue to love. So we love him even though we haven't seen him. When I knelt down early this morning and I prayed and I said, Oh, dear Jesus, I need you today. And I was spending time with him. I've not seen him. I don't know what he looks like. I look forward to the day when I can actually see him face to face. Until that time, I walk by faith, not sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, For we walk by faith, not by sight. John 20, 29, Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen 
and yet have believed. To this blessing, it goes to you. Blessed are you who have not seen and yet have chosen to believe. We love because of Christ's love. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. The love of Christ constraineth us. We believe in him, though we still don't see him. Verse 8, in whom, though now you still don't see him, yet you continue to believe. You see, our believing is empowered by the Spirit of God. You're not on your own with this. You're not forced to do it alone. The Holy Spirit wants to encourage you in your faith. Romans 15, 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. We've got help. When your hope starts to wane, when your faith gets weak, got help. That's the Spirit of God. In verse number 8, the last part of the verse, ye continue to rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We rejoice because of our choice to believe in Him. We choose to believe based upon what we know. And of course, what we know is found in God's Word. We know the truths because God has told us in His Word, not based upon what we see because this world is falling apart. We believe what we see here, not out there. I found an interesting passage. The minor prophet Habakkuk, chapter 3, and verse 17, Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields, or fields shall yield no meat or no food, no fruit, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. In other words, everything is going wrong. The minor prophet said, though everything goes wrong, verse 18, he says, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. And he will make my feet like hinds feet. And he will make me to walk upon mine high places. To the chief singer on my stringed instruments, he writes. No matter if the entire world falls apart, he says, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord because he is my strength. Remember the jailer? The jailer that was convinced that he had Paul very secure. And then there was this earthquake. And then all the jail doors popped open. He realized he wasn't as secure as he thought. And that jailer got saved in Acts 16, 34. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. The jailer got saved. The jailer believed, as did his house. And verse number 9. Continually receiving is the idea here continually receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Here is this transformation cycle to be completed when we see Jesus. It's the cycle we're in right now. 
the stage we're in right now, where we wake up in the morning and sometimes things go well, sometimes they don't. Sometimes we rejoice because we got a raise at work. Sometimes kind of bummed out because we got fired. And we struggle finding a thing to rejoice over. Ah, but the sanctification process is making us so that eventually we can rejoice no matter what because we see him by faith as he is. Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Interesting, the two words conformed and transformed are the only two words that are in the imperative. They're commands. Be ye conformed. Be ye transformed. They're commands. And they're also in the present tense. Be not being conformed to this world, but continue being transformed by the renewing of your mind. I hope I didn't lose you. Point is, he's telling us that this growing process is not a one-time deal. Getting saved, having my sins washed away, is a one-time act. But becoming like Christ is a lifelong process as God works in us. And that's what's being described. And there are times in this process that we get discouraged. There's times like we think, where are you, God? There's times that the pressures get so great, we're just weighted down, wondering how long is this going to last. And it's that time in our lives that Peter writes and talks about this amazing hope he's describing. Peter knew a little bit about persecution. Peter had witnessed the crucifixion of his Lord and Master. He had seen what persecution had done to believers and to churches. He had felt it himself. And he knew the importance of encouraging people in this stage of their salvation. You see, our salvation is by faith. It's a work of faith. Our salvation is also special. In verse number 10, of which salvation... The prophets have inquired and searched diligently who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Verse 11, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. And yes, there's a whole lot here. Let me pick out a few things for this morning. First of all, in verse 10, the prophets have inquired and searched diligently. You see, the Old Testament prophets sought diligently for a more complete understanding of the gospel. In the Old Testament, it was shrouded in mystery. That which we have freely given in the New Testament, they had only glimpses of in the Old Testament. It was shrouded in clouds. 
They stumbled at a suffering Messiah. That makes no sense to them. They could not reconcile a deliverer who would have to suffer and be cut off. Hebrews 11.13 says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. They didn't see Jesus. They didn't see deliverance from their trials. But they went through them with a firm resolve and confidence and faith and hope in the end of their salvation. In verse number 11, Searching what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify. The prophets poured over the scriptures. They studied them diligently, trying to unlock this mystery of the Messiah's coming. When would he come? And 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 and, and what form would he come? In the Old Testament prophet, prophetical book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 2. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. Notice, he, speaking of the Messiah, is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. It was right there in front of them but they just couldn't grasp what it meant. Verse 12, not unto themselves, but unto us. They did minister the things. The, the mystery was not revealed until Jesus appeared on the scene. The Messiah, when he did come in the form of Jesus Christ, he actually suffered and died and rose again. Oh, Paul said, that's what that meant. The Lord Jesus revealed in much greater detail the mystery when he met Saul on the road to Damascus. In Matthew eleven twenty five, at that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. In Daniel 12, 9, and he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed Till the time of the end. Daniel, you're not going to understand this. This is for, not for today, he said. It's for the time of the end, and guess what? We understand it now because we are in the end times. So our salvation, number one, is fueled by faith. And our salvation, number two, is special. Therefore, he says, therefore, hope. Let me read you verse 13 and following. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. I want to jump to the end because it's so great, but i got to wait. I'm going to give you the end, and you're going to just be blown away, but until that time, hold on just a little bit longer. 
gird up the loins. Now, we have a little hard time understanding what this means, but imagine now it's not going to happen. Imagine I'm standing up here in an old-fashioned robe, the likes of which the men of that day wore. And that, day, that robe goes almost down to the floor, down to my ankle. Well, now I would imagine it'd be kind of rough to work in, a little challenging to, to run in. Now, you imagine, you imagine guys getting at the starting line, these long robes, bending down, set! <laughs> the gun goes off, and they got these long robes flowing. Well, to gird up your robe means they reached down, they grabbed it, and they stuffed it in their belt. And what the end result was was kind of like a pair of shorts. Their, their, their legs are now free to move like, like a pair of shorts. Gird up. Well, what was the purpose of girding up their robe? Well, they got some serious work to do. They're going to go work. Or they're going to run. And they don't want any, any encumbrances. So if he says to gird up the loins of your mind, he says, get it ready. Get it ready. Get all those excess things that slow you down out of the way. Get ready for the journey of your salvation or this process of sanctification. Get ready. In Ephesians 6.14, Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. This idea of girding up is frequent through the Scriptures. So get ready for this journey and stay alert and focused mentally. He says, be sober. Well, most of us have a, an understanding of what the word be sober means. We say, don't get drunk. Well, that's part of it. Don't get drunk, which I think is wise counsel. It literally means to abstain from wine. It suggests keeping a clear head and staying sharp, able to make good decisions and to see when the danger is approaching. So keep your head clear. The ability to think sharply, be prepared at any moment to make a very, very big decision if you have to. In 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may, whom he may devour. Next, wherefore, girding up your loins and being sober, hope. In other words, remain confident in your expectation. That's what the word hope here means. To have an, a confident expectation. You know what? I didn't spend any time last night worrying about the sun coming up this morning. I didn't. I didn't. Some things really bother me, but worrying about the sun coming up, something I don't think about much. I just figure God's got this. I mean, it's been going on as long as creation has been here, just over and over and over. I don't have to worry about that. I have a confident expectation that tomorrow morning the sun's going to come up again. I don't have to worry about that. That's my, my confident expectation or my, can I say, hope? My hope hasn't happened yet, but I'm fully committed to the fact that it's going to happen. Hope is the only command in this verse. Long verse, hope is the only place that it's in the imperative or the command. The word suggests being convinced of an outcome. It's the assurance that since the sun is always rising in the morning, it will again rise tomorrow morning. One commentator writes, 
no other grace seems more vital to a true Christian life than hope. Then see how hope helps us to bear trials. It surrounds us with a kind of elastic medium so that when the terrible afflictions of this life beat against us, they rebound from us. There is a power in hope that prevents the severity of their blows from utterly crushing us. I like that. Hebrews 11.1, 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The same word translated hope here in our text is translated trust. In 1 Timothy 6.17, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust, same word as hope, in uncertain riches, but in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. Then the little phrase, to the end, hope to the end, it can be translated completely or perfectly. Hope to the completion. Hope to uh, the completion. The idea is to have hope that is perfectly settled in God and in His Word. Another commentary. Hope perfectly. By this, Peter probably means the same as Paul when the latter speaks of the full assurance of hope. An unfaltering persuasion in the mind that we have a personal interest in the inheritance reserved in heaven, the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Two men were martyred by burning at the stake for their faith in Christ. Before they were burned, one of these martyrs wrote, When I live in a settled and steadfast assurance about the state of my soul, methinks I am as bold as a lion. I can laugh at all trouble. No affliction daunts me. But when I am eclipsed in my comforts, I'm so fearful, a spirit that I could run into a very mouse hole. Now how to attain this perfection of hope, this full assurance? Evidently, by constantly but legitimately exercising this grace according to the divine word and testimony. For like other things, it grows bright in use. The more I use it, the brighter it becomes. What are we to hope for? Hope to the end. Hope to the completion of your salvation. But in a practical sense, what are we to hope for? Well, he tells us. We're to hope for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 2.9 it says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Do you love God? Today as you see, you're seated here, do you love God? None of us love him like we should, but do you love God? Here it says, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for you. Them that love God. What are we to hope for? Well, first of all, His grace in all its richness. Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through His blood, 
the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. His grace is rich. It's rich. Ephesians 2, 7, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and the kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. What are we to hope for? The grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Are you getting it? What are you to hope for? That grace that will come to you at Jesus appearing. And it's rich. The grace also of our inheritance in Him, 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And in 2 Timothy 4, 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Here's the grace of our rewards. Hebrews 10, 35, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward, for ye have need of patience, that after ye have done the will of God, ye might receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come, and will not tarry. And we happen to know who it is that's going to come. It's the Lord Jesus appearing in all of his glory with the grace that is full of riches for you. The grace, lastly, of meeting Jesus face to face in all his glory. I don't know what Jesus looks like, but His glory is incredible. The glory of our Lord Jesus Christ is unimaginable. And the commentator writes, Jesus Christ's incarnation was not a revelation. His divinity was rather hidden within the veil of His humanity. Only now and then the glory of that divinity shone forth. When Jesus was here, he was in disguise. God was not only feebly and faintly manifested in the flesh, which obscured the glory, but when Christ comes a second time, no longer to make a sin offering, but to bring full salvation unto his people, then will be the revelation of Jesus Christ. He will come like the king in his glory. All the grace that comes to you from the hour of your regeneration, here, to the hour of your complete sanctification, here is nothing in comparison with the grace that is to be revealed to you by Jesus Christ in the day when you are presented faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. That's what we're to look forward to. We are to hope to the end. We are hope to the completion. We are hope to the receiving of His riches and grace. It's for you. Hope in this stage, however, needs some energizer. <laughs> it needs some things to keep us hoping. In 1 Peter 1, 14, it says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according 
to the former lusts in your ignorance. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it's written, be ye holy, for I'm holy. Here's three things that help us eagerly anticipate the Lord's return. Number one, be obedient. As obedient children. If you're not being obedient, you're not looking forward to his return. If you're living in sin, you're not going to want the sinless one to appear. But if you're living to please him, if you're yielding your life to his will, you long for and pray for the return of Christ. Secondly, righteousness, living righteously not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, or not chasing those lusts of the past. And then thirdly, purity. Be ye holy, for I am holy. We are to be holy in all of our lives. Sin and selfishness take our eyes off of Jesus and onto ourselves. It's difficult to have the strength to hope when we are operating in our own limited power. It's interesting that after true confession and obedience, Israel marched into the promised land and defeated Jericho. Those walls came tumbling down. But Achan sinned, and he took of the accursed thing. And the very next city they went to, which was not a big deal, it was a yawner, they were defeated because of the sin. After another purging of their sin, they soundly defeated Ai and then continued defeating nation after nation after nation. Our salvation, first of all, is fueled by faith. Our salvation is special. Therefore, hope for your full salvation. When I was a kid, very young, I could not wait for Christmas to come. I could not wait. I, I, there were times where I'd stay up and I'd just dreaming about it. As we got close to Christmas, my folks would say, hey, give us a list. And oh, I would devour all the catalogs I could find and write list after list after list and give them. Oh, I was so excited for Christmas to come. And when Christmas was over, I was so upset because I got to wait for another whole year for Christmas to come. Then I got old. I was a teenager. And my desires were not as much for Christmas as they were to drive a car. I, could, I couldn't wait to drive a car. I mean, for real, not this, okay, put your hand on the wheel stuff. I mean, be on, behind the wheel, and I'm the one with my foot on the accelerator, not the brake, this accelerator, and the, and the steering wheel, and I'm going to drive this thing. I couldn't wait. Then I wanted to graduate from high school. And then I started looking toward graduating from college and getting married. But every one of those expectations fades in comparison with the glory that shall be revealed by the appearing of Jesus Christ. What's going to get us through today? What trial are you experiencing today? I got good news for you. Peter had a hunch you'd be going through some trials. And he said, I got hope for you. I've got a, a method that you can use that will help you 
strengthen you through your trials. Hope to the end. A confident expectation that your salvation is going to be full in Him. You're going to be wrapped up in the riches of His grace, the likes of which you can't begin to imagine. It's coming. Let's pray. Holy Spirit of God, would you right now give us a mental conception of that glorious grace? Lord, would you give us just a taste? Lord, we're, we're living by faith right now. We can't see by sight. There's some folks in this room who need it desperately. They've had the wind knocked out of them so many times, barely hanging on. God, give us a sneak peek of your grace. Lord, help us. Help us to understand more deeply what we have in you, in your grace. That grace is that's going to be revealed in you at your appearing. God, may we find our strength by looking forward to that hope. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder this morning, how's your hope? How is that ex confident expectation in your life? Are you trusting today? Are you looking forward to his return today? It's going to be mind-blowing. Are you prepared for it? Has there ever been a time in your life where you know that you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation? Or are you just floating along just assuming that you're, getting, that you're saved? Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you die, you're going to go to heaven? You can know. He's made it so simple. He paid for it. From us, he asks that we but confess that we're sinners and then transfer, transfer our dependence for heaven from our shoulders to his. We trust in him. Have you been saved? Nobody's looking around. I wonder, is there anyone in this audience this morning who would say, Pastor, I don't know for sure, but I sure want to. Would you pray for me? Anyone that would say, Pastor, I don't know for sure that heaven is my home when I die, but I want to know, please pray. I would not embarrass you. I should have to pray for you. Anyone like that? Put that hand up so I can see it. Pastor, pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. I was 11 years old when I learned the gospel story. I learned that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for all of my sins. And all I had to do was confess that I was a sinner. Huh. I already knew that. But I didn't know I needed to confess it to God. And so I confessed. I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. Please forgive my sins. And then he said, you've got to trust in me. And then I said, Lord, I'm trusting you and you alone to forgive my sins and to save me. And as an 11-year-old boy, I got what the Bible called is saved. And if you've not been saved, you could do it in the quietness of this moment. You could pray a prayer like I did by, with the faith of believing, as long as you believe it. You could come to Jesus in your heart, who's listening 
And you can say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sins. Lord, forgive my sins. And I'm now trusting you and you alone to save me. And then, be wise to thank him for saving you. And because he always keeps his word, you can be guaranteed that once you've trusted in him, that you're saved. I wonder, I wonder, is it real? Join me in standing, would you please? We're all standing. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I'm going to ask the piano to play just a little bit. I'm going to spend just a little bit of time allowing the Spirit of God to speak to your heart. If that was your testimony this morning, you did not know what you want to know. Would you be willing to walk down here and shake my hand so I can pray for you? Anybody like that? I know it's embarrassing, but it need not be because nobody's looking. Would you just step out and walk down and shake my hand and I can pray for you? Anyone like that? If you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, ask Him to increase your hope. Oh God, thank you for your Holy Spirit. Continue the work you've begun in us. And we'll thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. For we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated.